Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Jeremy, who you might know as Deathblade over at Wuxia World, uh, and we're just going to be talking about uh, Legends of Ogre Gate, the novel that he's been working on, and the translations that he's been doing, as well as some other projects that he has lined up. So, um, so how you doing, Jeremy? I'm good. Uh, I think it's morning for you, and it's very late at night for me, so we should have an interesting discussion. Yeah, that's the time differences in these are always, you know, very challenging to organize these <laughs> these interviews. Um, uh, what's what's the actual time difference? What did you say it was over there? Uh, right now we are thirteen hours apart, and China does not have daylight savings time, so soon it will switch to twelve hours apart. Okay, so that'll probably make things easier, actually. I think when. Uh... It, it depends because when we when we play when I play Ogregate with you guys um, right now you guys start at um, seven p.m. right so for me that's six a.m. because we're thirteen hours apart. We, um, wait, see, now I'm getting confused. That's okay. No, we start at six. I think. Yeah, I, I should tell you everybody. Start at six. Jeremy's in our. We we have a, a an Ogregate game on Sunday that we do, and Jeremy. Uh, plays little by if anybody's been following the session logs right so you start at six but when we're 13 hours apart for me that's 7 a.m and your guys 6 p.m oh I but then that. when daylight savings times for you guys ends it, but it, but it stays the same for me then it's 6 a.m for me and 6 p.m for you and then if you guys start early then i have to get up at 5 30 a.m to play so yeah it, it can make a slight difference in certain circumstances okay um, so, uh, yeah, so which one, out of curiosity, which, which is easier, the, 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 when we're, when we're spring ahead or when we're falling back? Um, in terms of the, of the game, I would definitely say being able to wake up an hour later is like crucial, <laughs> especially when you have a baby. I don't know if your listeners know, I have a, a one-year-old baby who has crazy sleep schedules and so... Yeah, sometimes that extra hour of sleep is precious. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I don't know. Why don't we talk about Ogregate and the, uh, the 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 Legends of Ogregate novel? Because that just uh, that just went up over on Wuxia World. Um, why don't you just tell everybody what it's about? Sure. Um, well, it kind of started. I mean, it was my idea. I was the one that brought it to you, um, and as a as a concept for a novel. And the long story short is that the story is about the two um, people who sort of created, I, I would say, the whole, I mean, they created the entire world that the game takes place in. Not the world, I mean, they didn't create the actual world, but they created the martial arts world. They're the foundation of the martial arts world or um, maybe the source of it and the source of a lot of the legends and the myths in the game, a lot of the martial arts techniques, and they're credited for having created the using chi to do martial arts and stuff like that. So the, when you get the the main uh, game book, they're mentioned a lot, and their story, the, the main idea of their story is also talked about in the rule book. And as I was reading uh, the rule book in 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 preparation to play and just for fun and stuff, I was thinking that it's a really complicated, not complicated, but complex and like rich, like mythology, but there's no place to go to sort of like 
see it in story form. It's just kind of mentioned as you would expect it to be in the rule book for a game. And so my idea was, wow, there's like such a great story here to like, like see how all of this happened. And so that's, that was where I got the idea to come to you with, with the story. And so the story just goes uh, back in time. The, the current setting of the game um, is in a certain time period. And so this is about a thousand years or so before that. And we get to see how um, martial arts in the game were created and then how the history of the world was sort of like started, I guess you could say. Okay. And, uh, and one, one of the things like, um, cause, cause me and Jeremy have been kind of communicating. I, he's, he's the one that, that writes it and he occasionally sends me chapters and I give him like thoughts on setting stuff. But one of the things I noticed is, uh, you're, you're, you're sort of balancing sort of the need to, to be like authentic to the genre, but it's, but you're also so familiar with the genre that you're that you want to add something to it and so that's one of the things that i i've been enjoying about it um and so i didn't know if you, if you want if you had any thoughts on sort of the that balance between sort of the awesome authenticity and adding something new in a, in a genre that a lot of people might think of as very sort of stable right i mean it's it's yeah it's fun and it's challenging and in addition to that is the fact that your setting i mean you worked really hard to create a setting that's pretty authentic in terms of its faithfulness to Chinese history. Um, so the the story that I'm writing and the time period that Sunan and Bao lived in, um, you're the one that created that, and you created it as being like sort of analogous to the Han Dynasty in China. So in your in your world, even though it's a fantasy world with magic kind of and fantasy and stuff, it's actually relatively historically accurate in a lot of ways and so i mean that kind of even throws in an additional level of complexity because not only am i trying to make it mostly historically accurate to han dynasty china but in addition to that i'm trying to make it faithful to like the wuxia stories that were the inspiration for you in creating the universe and yeah at the same time also trying to be creative so and usually when i when i write the chapters i um, I kind of like, I have a, a, like a pretty good idea of what I want to happen in the chapter. Like I have to have that idea before I start. Um, usually in any given chapter, there's going to be like two or three sort of like main, like points or main events or something. So I know what I'm heading into when I write the chapter, but then I sit down and I kind of like try to sort of like just explode out with like, you know, the chapter, I try to write the chapter as fast as I can and just let it let it flow out and so in that process obviously i'm not thinking i'm not thinking a lot necessarily about the details a lot of i'll go back and add more details later but because of that that leads to a lot of situations where the ideas that i come up with could conflict with your universe or the historical authenticity for example there was a chapter that just got published recently that i wrote a while back where i had them sitting in chairs and then you pointed out at that time in chinese history people didn't really sit in chairs, which was something I never even thought about. Or um, I had a part where they, the guy lit a match and I wasn't really thinking about it. You pointed out they didn't have matches in that time period in China, which is the reflection of, of your world. So, um, but I don't think that's a problem. I think it's cool. I, I think that the, the difficulties of maintaining accuracy, it's not a problem. It's, it's a challenge. I like a challenge. So, it's, well, to me, it's fun, I guess. Well, and I think we also have like a built-in um, 
excuse if if, if it ever doesn't <laughs> if it if there ever is a discrepancy because because the because the, the the premise of the of the story is it's kind of it's it's kind of an alternate timeline thing going on as well so you have you have a little bit of room i think for uh for some differences yeah i mean there's always that like for example in the chapter i just published last week where we got introduced to bao she's described as like really liking reading and of course at that time in china and in in the world of Ogregate, like paper isn't really common so writing reading materials would be on bamboo or wooden scrolls i i mean i didn't really look into this but i'm pretty sure that like pop like pulp fiction stories about you know like romances and stuff i really doubt that they like recorded those on bamboo scrolls and then like sold them to young girls i just really doubt that but hey i mean we can twist things a little bit right i think there's room for a little i mean and especially it's also it's it's also that's that's kind of how the genres work presently like especially on a lot of the t television series I, I you know i see this all the time where they they you know anachronisms are allowed to exist in 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 the in the wuxia and the shansha genres so i think that's you know i think that's okay and, and speaking of which what what how would you classify where, where where would you fit this story in terms of genre i'm just curious well that's a good question and i've actually had quite a few people ask me that on social media and my answer is that for the most part it's a it's a it's a new wuxia story and toward the end it um, we'll start veering toward Xianxia. So for any readers, uh, sorry, not readers, for any listeners that aren't familiar with those different genres, I mean, if you want to kind of make it as simple as possible, Wuxia, I define it as being um, Chinese fiction that's focused on martial arts and relatively realistic, but also has a has an element of fantasy. Whereas Xianxia is based on Chinese mythology and is extremely fantastic. So the, even though a lot of people nowadays get the two confused or, or even just kind of, a lot of people use wuxia just to describe Chinese fiction, um, not to be like, you know, too geeky, but they're completely different. It would be kind of like if, if I said, hey, did you see that really cool new science fiction movie, Lord of the Rings? <laughs> yeah. You would be like, I mean, to, to somebody not familiar with it or something, it, I mean, it's not, it, it's could work but like to anybody who knows anything about it it's totally wrong right and so xianxia is really fantastic it has mythology it has um daoist magic it has like dragons and stuff like that and in wuxia it's a little bit more grounded in reality like when you read jinyong and especially jinyong to lesser extent gulong like it's the kind of thing where i feel like if you close your eyes and you sort of like pretend you could you could imagine that stuff really happening I mean, okay. it, it's fantastic, but you know, it's it's ancient history. And like, who knows? Maybe, maybe like hundreds of years ago, there really was this like these these like these martial artists that were apart from society and like super powerful and could do all these things. It's it's like possible, right? Um, but it, it it's not as possible to believe in in the stuff that happens in Xianxia, which is like, you know, I mean, for example, in the translation that I'm working on right now i shall seal the heavens it's toward the end of the novel it's getting toward the part where the main character is becoming uh, like one of the most powerful people in the universe kind of thing and you know people can like transform into 
30,000 meter tall giants and like, or, or they can even transform into like planets or like mountains and just crazy stuff that just goes, I mean, it's so wild and so beyond imagination that that's what's cool about it. So, so really to me, Wuxia and Xianxia are, are very different. And so when you ask this story, I mean, clearly this story starts out being completely Kung Fu Wuxia. I mean, they're like inventing the mere practice of using chi and martial arts but um if you i mean if you even just open up the rule book and kind of look at the how the game system is set up you have it set up to where um by the the time they reach the highest level in the game as you have available now in the rule book they can reach the level of a mortal um the it's it's not clearly defined because you have more stuff coming out in the future about that but um without getting into too many spoilers obviously um the characters in Legends of Orgate are going to be approaching that level as they get toward the end of the novel. So as it gets closer to the end, it's going to have more of those like magical, fantastic elements. So if I was going to classify it, I would probably just classify it as Wuxia because it's not going to get into the super mythical, fantastic things. Um, as I've, I, I, some people have asked how many chapters it's going to be. Um, and me and you talked about this a while back, and I don't anticipate it going beyond 100 or maybe 200 chapters. And then at that time, we can kind of, you know, reassess what we're going to do. And if it goes beyond that point, if it goes beyond the main story that I have to tell, then it's going to be getting into the whole Xianxia Immortal Heroes genre. So we'll we'll see what happens. That's going to be a good year away, probably. Okay, and 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 it's probably worth pointing out, like like two hundred ch- chapters might sound like a lot to people, but in that in the in the the medium and the genre that you you translate in, that's actually not e- they, like they, like some of them get pretty pretty insane, right? Yeah, I mean the one I'm translating right now, the main one will end at about sixteen hundred chapters, and that's a pretty I would say average length maybe for the really popular epic stories and and incidentally there are there's there's extremes on both ends there's definitely chinese web novels that are not thousands of chapters long there are only a few hundred chapters um but there are some that are even way longer way longer than that i mean minus 1600 there are novels out there that are 2000 3000 5000 chapters long. i mean we're talking about stories where the author's update the story at least once a day or probably more than once a day and they'll do that for years so as you can imagine massive amounts of chapters can build up for some of those novels so yeah this is more in line with in the end version if if we ever do a print version like we we've been talking about it'll be more analogous to just a regular epic fantasy novel hopefully okay and there's also there's another genre too that you were telling me about the other day the and i I probably can't um pronounce it correctly but it looked like it was juan juan um that's pretty close yeah which i usually just call it like whenever i see shows like that i'll just call it like chinese fantasy but like um but uh but 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 it sounds like it's an actual proper subgenre um it is and there are it's in the in the novel translation community it's pretty well known and in fact i would say in the no- in the novel translation community probably the three terms that are most well known are those three which is uxia xianxia and xianhuan the number of people who actually kind of understand the difference is not um, I, I wouldn't say it's the majority but definitely a lot of people have heard of those and 
long story short, in addition to what I just described, we have the one that we're, you just mentioned, Xuan Huan, and it's essentially, um, like you said, Chinese fantasy, and it tends to mix um, the wuxia and xianxia stuff with more traditional Western fantasy themes like, I mean, you know, World of Warcraft, Lord of the Rings, kind of traditional high fantasy, sword and sorcery kind of things. And actually, that genre is the most popular genre right now in China. Oh, really? Um, yeah, by far. Wuxia is, I mean, Wuxia, you know, sadly, in both the Western world and in the Chinese world is not, you know, the most popular thing. It still exists. It's still around. Um, there, especially in TV shows and movies, there's definitely Wuxia TV shows and movies um, but in terms of the of the fiction and the novels, definitely um, the Xuanhuan is is the more popular. And now a lot of those those Xuanhuan um, stories are starting to be turned into uh, TV shows and movies too. Yeah. So, well, even I even think, for the for like the past, like at least since like two thousand six or two thousand eight, I've seen a lot more stuff like that in movies and 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 and, and increasingly television shows. So. Do you think do you think that has to do with the effects? Like, is that an effects-driven change, or is that a is that just a matter of you know, like Lord of the Rings was popular, and then that had a big impact in China, maybe? And I don't know. I mean, in terms of the uh, in terms of the online fiction world, it's really hard to say because I don't think I don't think the online web novel industry is really that old. I mean, when you compare it to, for example. I mean, come on, like that goes back decades, right? But the online web novel community is pretty new. I, I don't, I, I, I can't claim to be an expert on it, to be honest with you, because I haven't done a lot of research into, um, into this kind of thing. But I suspect that probably around the time that the online web novel community in China started to grow, by that time, I'm pretty certain that Wuxia was already not a you know, popular genre for young readers. I mean, okay. at the at the earliest, the, the Chinese novel community has probably been around for maybe 10 or 15 years maximum. And so I think by the time it started, young people in China were, like, young people in China at that time were already thinking that, uh, you know, Western stuff is cool. And so then these genres start coming along that are not purely Western. Um, They mix Chinese stuff and they mix Western stuff. So it's more, it's more palatable to the, the Chinese audiences. And then it just kind of exploded. So I think, I think that probably has more to do with it. And, and frankly speaking, like the special effects are bad, whether it's Wuxia, Xianxia, Xianhua or anything. It's just, (laughs) they don't quite measure up right. Right now, I mean, some of the movies maybe they're getting close to. They've been getting, but better. even some of the they've been getting the better, better yeah. yeah. But even even some of the big blockbusters recently, like I went to see. A, I mean, man, this is a year or two or more after you have a baby, like uh, your mind kind of gets like destroyed. But I went to see Four Constables, one of the new Four Constables movies. It wasn't the first one because I think there's three so far. Oh, um, the, the, is that the um, uh, the four? I think is what they right. Yep. Yeah, sorry. In in English, it's the four. In Chinese, it's called the four constables. And I saw number two or three, forget. And like that, some of the scenes with the special effects were like really cool, and I was digging it. And then some of them, I'm just like, what is this? Like, like 
I just wish there could be one. I wish there could be like a consistently really cool special that, effect that, show. That's or it. Because that, I have all three of those on DVD, and um, and and I I found that like some of the effects were great, but the consistency is what was um, was the issue. You see that? I mean, honestly, you see that in in like Hollywood movies too, where there it's it's almost like there are sections where they get lit either lazy or the funding runs out and and they you know and it would almost be better if they just removed that and and just showed the really cool effects but um well i mean you know that's a complicated industry i i shouldn't i shouldn't belittle it but yeah man i really wish that there was just a like you know like a a game of thrones level just like okay i mean okay let's i should back off for a second because game of thrones especially the first couple of seasons had some pretty questionable CGI. Okay, so that's maybe a bad example. But I mean, generally speaking, it's pretty awesome in terms of sets, in terms of acting and stuff. I really wish there was some like Chinese TV drama show that could match that. Because even the ones, the recent ones that are really popular, me and you were talking about this on email, like The Journey of Flower and the, uh, the, what was it? Ice Fantasy or whatever. Like, I mean, they're like, super popular in china and stuff but like this the effects are just not not quite there though i will say ice fantasy the aesthetics have impressed me like the um like the, the effects are not if you took them and compared them to like lord of the rings or game of thrones the effects aren't at the same level though i think the uh, i think the guy that did the, the uh, uh lord of the rings sets was the production designer or the set designer but the uh the the way that they use the effects to create like interesting color schemes and things like that, I think that generally works. So you kind of have to, for me, when I'm watching this stuff, I kind of watch it with like a different eye than like if I was watching, um, you know, like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, where like I know they got like this big giant budget and and all the, you know. But even now, I apparently I was listening to a show the other day and they were talking about how I guess the way that visual effects work now is it's all outsourced. And, and, and something about the, the structure of the system that they have in place for, for budgeting these things has led to, uh, to the, to, like, I guess, like a lot of these companies that make visual effects have a hard time making money. And so, so I think it's one of these things where you, you know, they, we, maybe they won't be getting better. Maybe they'll actually be getting worse over time, <laughs> you know? but I don't know. It's just something I heard on the radio. That's uh, interesting. But, but, well, but actually I, I, I want to get back to the web novels. Cause like, um, that's something that we don't really ha- like. We have web novels here, but not. I don't think it's like at all the same uh, that they have over there. Like that. Like it seems like a real like phenomena over in China. Um, it is, and I think that um, I think we're catching up a little bit in the Western world. Some of the, uh, um, I mean, there, there's a lot of places you can go to get those kind of kind of things but uh, yeah nothing has gone really like crazy popular um i don't know how it happened but what i can't what i can tell you is how it works now which is um most of the big sites i'm pretty sure they operate on kind of a i'm trying to think of the best analogy i mean basically anybody can post stories actually on on tdn so tdn.com um is and incidentally cn.com just announced they're launching an international version of their website um if you all you have to do is search 
Tian International. Tian is Q I D I A N. So Tian, if you search for Tian International, I'm sure you, they have YouTube videos up now and stuff. So they're 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 trying to make a foray into the Western market. I, I don't want to get into too much detail. I mean, I can talk a little bit about that, but I I, I know some kind of like behind the scenes things about it. So I don't want to get too much into detail about it. But but long story short is Qidian, the big the one of the big big top Chinese web novel um, websites. They're trying to go international. Um, and in addition to that, of course, there are other little websites in uh, in the Western world that have uh, similar things. Oh, okay. Sorry, I got distracted. Let me let me go back. Uh, I I totally veered off on a different no tangent. I was talking about how Qidian actually works, which is that anybody can post there. So uh, it's it's not hard to start posting there, but everything works on essentially a voting system, and so as a as a as a reader, um, you have like you can upvote and you, not downvote, but you can upvote things you like, and then also um, when you become a VIP reader, you have what's um, you have to pay for that, and as a paying VIP user, you get a monthly vote ticket. That you can use to monthly vote onto the chapter of your favorite story or something like that. Um, so it's a really like cutthroat. I mean, essentially like a almost like a capitalist cutthroat like competition among the authors to provide what the readers want. And um, it it started a while back where the reader the, the authors started. I don't want to say bribing the readers, but essentially saying like. The, the, these authors that are starting to get popular would essentially say, um, "Hey, readers! Like, if you give me your monthly vote ticket on this chapter, I'll write the next chapter. Like, I'll write it. I'll write it today instead of tomorrow." And so, when you have like these, and then obviously, if you're just like Joe Blow guy posting your novel, like nobody's gonna give you their monthly vote ticket if they don't know you. But what, what is imagine the vote ticket just because. Uh... Like, well, it's 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 a it's a it's a you get one, as a VIP um, member you get you get one of them per month you get a monthly vote ticket. Um, this is my understanding, by the way. I could have some slight details wrong because I'm not a I don't I'm not a VIP member on okay. CDN. But okay. my understanding is you get one one monthly vote ticket as a VIP user. So in, in the month you can you can vote for um, the chapter of you know, whatever novel you read that you think is, like, awesome. And then what happens is those monthly vote tickets, obviously, um, which is the authors, not the specific authors, but the novels um, that get the most m monthly vote tickets will go up onto the charts on the front page. And then it becomes very easy to tell who's voting on what and which novels are getting a lot of votes. The, okay. the novels are getting a lot of monthly vote tickets. Wow, that must be an awesome, awesome novel. More people start jumping on more, more. More people start jumping on board. More monthly vote tickets. Um, and so that's really the main way that the charts happen on TDN. And then as you can imagine, there are certain um, authors who have been at it for years and have a built-in following. And so their novels are automatically going to start getting vote tickets. And then as time develops, sort of like an economy or a, or a culture or whatever you want to call it develops. Um, and so, so yeah, that's kind of how it works. Um, and, but here's the key, here's the whole thing about it. Um, uh, regardless of whether it's the Western world or the, uh, the uh, Chinese world, traditionally speaking, 
um, a writer is going to write a book. They're going to write it, and then they're going to they're going to like put it on the market. And you know, if it does good, it sells a lot of copies. They make money. The publisher makes money. That's kind of how it works. And so, of course, what'll happen is established authors or perhaps famous people or something, they might get an advance maybe to write the book ahead of time, give them some motivation. Uh, then later they make more money or something like that. Um, but this kind of like completely bypasses that entire like, I want to use the word paradigm. I don't know why that word jumps to mind. But it, it kind of completely bypasses that because instead of waiting until you finished the entire book and then presenting it to the audience and then seeing if they like it, instead of that, it's happening real time. Every single day you're posting your story, people react to it. Um, of course, before it gets to the monthly vote thing, there's other ways, you know, everybody can can like chapters and stuff. So eventually there's other charts besides the monthly vote charts. There's other charts that show on a daily basis or a weekly basis. But basically anybody can really go on and start writing a story and and people might like it or not like it. It doesn't even even the writing quality doesn't really matter. So like in China, nobody there's nobody, I don't think anybody who is under the illusion that Chinese web novelists are like, you know, the William Shakespeare's of China. Like they're not like looked at as being like great writers, but what they're doing is telling stories that people like. And so when people like the stories, then they vote and the authors make money. And these these Chinese web novelists are making, I mean, they're like crazy rich because of the money they're making off of the novels. The the, the monthly boat tickets don't um, aren't like money that go into their pocket, but that determines how they get paid from Tiden. And and they're, and we're talking like you know hundreds of thousands of people reading the chapters every day. They can make a lot of money. So okay, yeah. So your 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 uh, reception got a little bit uh, spotty there, but I think it might be back in. Um, Sorry about that. Am no. I am I clear now? Yeah, no, you sound clear. Um, yeah, the uh, uh, it, it almost to me it almost sounds like like a like a social media driven format. Like it's kind of like similar to how Facebook and Google Plus operate, where uh, where where the things that would drive drive people to prominence are are uh, are are like how you know people are upvoting and, and interacting with it. Um, I would imagine that yeah, shapes I mean, content too. It does, yeah, absolutely. But um, so it's 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 it, and that that sort of like, as far as I'm aware, hasn't really taken the Western world by storm yet. So there are there are places where you can read and fiction, but nothing that's quite evolved in the same way that China has. So as to whether or not that'll happen, I don't know. Hard to say. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, I think I'm noticing a lot of um, Americans that are that are into the uh, to the Chinese web novel. So maybe through that, you might you might start. You know, maybe that'll be serve as a model. I don't know. Um, but I guess we should probably talk a little bit about about Wuxia World and some of the stuff that you're translating because that's that's really what you do. And um, I kind of wanted to talk like generally about translation, but maybe just tell folks a little bit about Wuxia World if they don't already know and. Uh, and some of the novels that you're currently translating. Sure, um, and it's a it's a long story that you can, you know, talk about for a long time. But essentially, uh, a few years ago, um, some people started translating some of the popular Chinese web novels, and it just exploded. And one of those people decided to 
put it decided to instead of posting the translation on a on a forum which was popular for translations at the time he decided to start his own uh blog basically to post the translation and it got super popular and people were offering him money they were saying please take our money and translate this faster than you know he was he started out with a few chapters per week and they were like we'll give you money to do it faster and and so he started to do that and it just exploded because once he started to do that and it became obvious to everybody that people out there willing to spend money to read these stories faster um, I mean it just exploded people started doing translations left and right starting up their own websites um, and I, I came in shortly after so the person that I'm talking about he goes by the moniker of uh, Renoir Singh which is a character from um, Smiling Proud Wanderer, the novel Smiling Proud Wanderer, um, also the subject material for the movie Swordsman Two by Jet Li, and there's like a lot of a lot of uh, novels that are the, the a lot of uh, movies and TV shows that are basis that, that are based on that novel. He got his name from that novel, and he started a website. I joined him um, initially. Actually, I initially joined him to finish the translation of one of the Gulong novels I was translating, which was Seven uh, Dragon King with Seven Stars. And then as I was getting close to the end of that translation, he suggested that I pick up this, um, what, 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 what I'm now translating still, <laughs> I Shall Fill the Heavens. Um, and at the time, that was one of the most popular novels. on It had just started to become one of the most popular novels on TN.com. And from that moment until it was finished, um, and it finished last year sometime, it was the number one most popular novel on TN.com. And so I've been translating that since then. I originally started it mostly just for fun and to, and to improve my Chinese. And now it's turned into kind of a full-time thing. Um, and then over time, as uh, he developed the website more people started to join. He started to recruit more of the best translators. And now, you know, about two years, two or three years later or so, things have sort of kind of like come to an equilibrium in terms of the major content providers for Chinese web novel translations. And right now there's basically, I mean, I would say there's two, maybe people could argue with that, but um, one of them is Wuxia World. The other is Gravity Tales. Um, Gravity Tales uh, also offers original fiction, um, and they have a lot more translations than Usha World. Um, the guy that runs Gravity Tales actually also has a translation on Usha World, which is kind of weird. But um, he was actually one of the original ones to join and help out and and you know see test the waters and stuff on Usha World. Then he also started his own website. So right now, those are the two big like actual companies, I guess you could say. Um, another huge development is that Usha World um, recently purchased the the um, license, the official license to actually legitimately, legally publish and sell the translations in the out, outside of China, basically. And it's right right now we're the only website that has that. So the the majority of the translations on Usha World are actually licensed, and then eventually will be available for ebook sale. Um, and then there's other deal, stuff. Kind of, that's that's like that's kind of new territory, isn't it? Um, absolutely, yeah. It's uh, it's really really big because before it was before it was all kind of 
shady gray area. Um, back then, I mean, I guess back then it was only several months ago, not that long ago, but at, before the, and incidentally, even before I, I mean, I, this was a, this deal with, with TN has been a very, very, very long time in coming. I mean, I think I remember being, me and you talked a really long time ago, like, and you interviewed me really, really long time ago. And I mentioned this and like, I, I think I remember at that time saying it's just around the corner. And then like, <laughs> it was like a year later. I mean, the negotiations went for a really long time. Um, and incidentally there, I can't reveal too much, but there's even more stuff coming down the road uh, regarding what's happening with Chiden and world. And there's a lot of different things. It's really exciting. And I think it's, it's, only going to get better and it's going to get more legitimate the translations are going to get better and the um quality is going to improve and it's it's really cool that it's official now because before like i was saying it was always a question like is is it possible that at some point tdn you know is going to come in and shut everything down or something and, and it's really cool that wusha world has a basically a partnership with them um uh, uh, in the japanese light novel, web novel, um, and manga, and anime translation community, it, all of this kind of stuff already happened a long time ago, but a lot of people were and still are worried about what's going to happen. Are the big Chinese websites going to come in and shut down all the the individual translators? Because right now, like I said, there's two main kind of like big providers, but in addition to those, there's numerous individuals who have their own blogs their fan translating and stuff and you can search for them and find lots of those yeah. and the big question was are the big chinese websites going to shut that down right now it doesn't seem like they're interested in, in doing that really um but in either case it's still it's still good to be on the legal side of things i guess you could say <laughs> well and i think it's also good because i i feel like it it's it's one like like i i you know the, the, the unofficial stuff can sometimes be very difficult to obtain or or you might have to go to multiple places to get like you might start reading it on one forum and then have to pick up on another forum and it's nice that this is like nice and official and I think that will make it more palatable to people who might not otherwise be exposed to it do you know what I mean so and also the quality like that like you mentioned the gulong stuff like your gulong translations are awesome and that's what kind of got like uh, I think that was the first. I forget how we first connected, but I know early on, I think I, I was really into Hero Shed No Tears, and I read the um, I read your translation of it. And, uh, and I mean, the, the, the stuff that's on the site is really, you know, it, it's really high quality. Um, well, he, um, he uh, the guy that runs the site, I always feel weird saying his name because I know his actual, I know his real name, and then his Chinese name is not easy to pronounce, Ren Xing, and then, like, he goes by the moniker rwx i'm always confused how to refer to him but he has pretty high standards and he um i mean he you know most of the translators on Wuxia world are are not like professional translators per se but he tends to vet it to make sure that, that a the quality is is there and then another thing he sort of like demands is that well, I shouldn't say he demands, but he ensures that if a translation comes onto Usha World, it will get finished. It's not going to get dropped. Mm -hmm. So one of the the things that people always worry about when, you know, some guy starts a translation is, is he going to finish it? And sadly, the, 
likelihood is not. I mean, unfortunately, I've 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 been at, like stuck at chapter sixty-seven of books with no no hope of sixty-eight in sight. You know, yeah, many times. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I way way back in the day, the you know, in the in the, the process of everything that led me to this point, I started out as you know the person wanting to read the translations, and I'll never forget. Um, it was Smiling Proud Wanderer, which incidentally is one of my favorite stories. But I remember way back in the day, there was a guy named Lanny Lan, I think. He was a guy translating. He had his website and, you know, had like 20, 30 chapters. And I was just going back, refreshing all the time and never came. I was just, it was so frustrating. Um, but on Wizard World, he, he ensures that that doesn't happen. And in, in order to ensure that that doesn't happen, he essentially you know, like forces the translators to promise that they won't do that. But even if something happens and they do, then he'll do something to make sure that the translation keeps going. Usually he tries to have a backup plan ahead of time, like have translators waiting that are wanting to get into the world, and then he'll bring them on to fill a spot um, or something. Um, But yeah, in fact, there was a big kind of situation. We won't get into into the details, but there was a recent situation a few... I guess last year, where translator came in, uh, a very well-known sort of, sort of famous translator came in, started translating a new novel, and then just vanished, disappeared off of the internet, and nobody knew what happened. Well, maybe somebody knows, but it's not public knowledge. What know what? It's not public knowledge what happened. But within a month or two or or so, that translation got picked up again. He, he in fact. Um, Ren was seeing he stepped in to actually translate it himself for a while until somebody else came on board. So, yeah, one of the things that people can be assured of at least is that the translations aren't going to be dropped and that they're no, the, relatively good quality. They're very consistent over there. There's there it's always getting updated and and things are, you know, like like I said, it just it just feels I mean, there's a lot of great fan translations out there. Don't get me wrong, but I but 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 this just I I like the the officialness of it. It, it just sort of makes a difference. The the way that it's done seems, uh, uh, it, to me, noticeably at a higher level. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely. But, I, but what? I, but I'm curious. You like what was the breaking point for you that made you say, "Okay, I'm going to learn Chinese." And like that's like because because I've been frustrated like that, but I've never been like, "Okay, damn it, I'm gonna I'm gonna master Chinese and and start <laughs> translating these myself." Well, it's, I mean, it's a long story, and again, I, I didn't um, start specifically learning Chinese only only for that reason. It's not like I like decided that it was a, it was a, a combination of many things, um, and um, the, I would say that was a catalyzing factor for sure that led me down that path. Um, but it wasn't until I had been studying Chinese for about four years that I even thought to actually try to translate something. It was at about four years that I realized that my reading was just, my reading ability in Chinese was horrible. And so I decided, so I decided, um, so I decided that I would try to translate a Goulon novel. I, I, and incidentally, the reason I picked Seven Killers, which was my first translation, is because it was the shortest Goulon novel I could find. I mean, it was so short. And so I figured, hey, like, this way, even if it takes me a really long time, I'll still be able to finish it. And it'll help. It'll force me to read. It'll force me to practice reading. And, and you know, I decided to do it for fun. And I think Seven Killers, I haven't, I mean, man, it's been a long time since I looked at it. But if I remember correctly, it's something like 
eight chapters or maybe like it's 10 really, chapters or something. It's, it's fairly lean. It's not that long. Uh, it's not long. And I, th and I think those chapters are relatively long, but um, probably at, at most, they're probably probably the total length of that novel is probably at maximum maybe 20 chapters of the project that I'm currently translating. Now, when I first started that Seven Killers, if I remember, it took me something like four to six months to translate what what I what would essentially be about twenty chapters of what I translate now. And now I translate about um, seventeen or eighteen chapters per week. So I'm now translating okay. per week what it took me four to six months to translate before. So okay. it's definitely been a it's definitely improved my Chinese for sure. And that was the whole goal. The downside of it is that now, because it's turned into kind of a full-time thing, now my reading ability is like crazy. It's like awesome. I accomplished that goal. But unfortunately, I don't spend much time speaking Chinese anymore. So now like okay. my spoken Chinese has suffered because I don't, I mean, I'm spending most of my time reading and writing or reading and translating, and I'm not spending much time speaking. So I guess... You know, six well, and one half like that. Another. You don't use them. You kind of like you know, like I learned a language way back when, and I, I stopped using it, and and my abilities just diminished dramatically. So um, yeah, it, it is what it is. I mean, I can't you know, I can't complain. I do have the ability to now read you know the novels I always wanted to read in the actual language. Now what like because there might be people that are listening that would uh, would actually be interested in learning. And I know that for me, like the, the language that I learned was Arabic. And for what it for me, what it what took uh, took getting me to learn the language, finding the right book to learn the script for some reason. I don't know why, but I managed to get my hands on the one book that for me worked at mastering the script. And then from there, I was able to start uh, taking language courses. But what what would you recommend for people that even if it's just so that they can maybe understand a few more terms better or or at least attempt to read some of these books on their own in the original Chinese? Uh, what are the steps that people would need to take to do that? Um, well, first, I have to mention that I wrote a little art, because I get I get this question, I used to get this question, like, so often. So I decided to write an article about it, and anybody that wants to get a lot more details on it, you can go to Wuxia World, and you can go to the resources, and there's a, a article called Death Blades, um, learning Chinese FAQ or something like that. I can, I can put a link um, at the bottom of the podcast too, if you want for that. Sure. Yeah. Because I, I went into a lot of detail about that, but I mean, essentially, I mean, that's a really complicated question because, um, Chinese is the kind of Chinese is a complicated language. The, the, to read it is very difficult because it's not like English or most, um, alphabet based languages where you can learn an alphabet of, you know, 20, 50 or something um, symbols and then use those symbols like piece together the um, the words based on, you know, knowledge of pronunciation or something. I know Arabic is not easy either, by the way. I'm aware of that. But there is, um, but there's a, there's a, there's a smaller alphabet then. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't, you don't have to, I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, once yeah, you know so, the alphabet, you're all set for, for reading. Exactly. Yeah. And even for English, I mean, not, I mean, not like, I, I'm not suggesting that reading English is easy per se, but like Chinese, I mean, even to read a children's book, you're going to need to memorize a few thousand characters. And if you think about that, um, I mean, 
English has 26 letters, 26, 26 letters. I mean, that's, that's, you can memorize 26 letters in like, as an adult, you could probably memorize it in a few days. We're talking just to reach the level of a child, you would have to memorize thousands. And incidentally, by the way, Chinese children do not learn how to read. They they can't read until they're probably, um, and, and by read, I mean read Chinese. They could, even Chinese children couldn't read a Chinese children book that was written only in Chinese characters until they're probably at least at least six or seven years old. Maybe five if their parents help them a lot of time, but probably six or seven or eight Be, or just so. Because it takes so long to master the. the right. The well, well. First, check this out. First, they have to learn pinyin, mm-hmm. and pinyin is based on the Roman alphabet. So basically, in order to learn how to read Chinese. Essentially, Chinese kids have to learn how to read English first. I mean, I mean that that now don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that the average Chinese kid could read an English story and, and understand it. But they have to be able to understand the pronunciation of the letters and how to group them together in order to make sounds and words, which is what reading is. So essentially, before Chinese kids can learn even to read or write Chinese, they have to learn how to put together letters into form words and sentences and that's how they learn how to read and write and so for chinese kids to be able to learn to read and write we're, we're talking about a process that goes on for years okay. now granted if you if you're a foreigner and you know you're studying it and that's all you're doing you know you're 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 studying it at a college in china or in, in the united states or, or let's say you're just doing it as a hobby like really focused it's definitely possible to do it but for people who are interested in reading chinese in order to be able to like read wuxia or web novels or something, it's a process that even if you were like went crazy, like you had no job, you're like let's say you're like high school student, you graduate high school or something, and you you know can spend a year or two, like your parents sort of don't mind, you don't go to college, you can just study Chinese. I still can't imagine how somebody would be able to get to the point of being able to, being able to read the novels with with without putting at least two or three years. I mean, really two or three years. When I started translating that one Gulong novel, like I said, I was at about four years of Chinese. And at that time, I mean, it was painfully slow. I mean, really just, I mean, I, could, I couldn't even, I definitely could not have picked up the printed version of the novel and read it, not even by a long shot. I had to use a digital version where I could pop up you know, mouse over each character to pull up the definition. And by doing that, I was able to like understand it. So I don't want to discourage anybody from studying Chinese, but on the other hand, I don't want anybody to be under the illusion that you could, you know, study a little bit and then, you know, slowly get to the point of it's just not going to happen. Um, so what I would, I would definitely suggest to people who are interested in it, I I would definitely suggest to explore it is learning language is really cool. Um, there's millions of resources that you can access, be they podcasts or online courses or, um, books you can buy. I think everybody's different. So everybody can pick a different path, um, depending on what, what, you know, what their kind of personality is and their learning style is um and then expect to put in a lot of hard work and time and if you do that then a few years later you might be in the position to to do some reading (laughs) okay so yeah that's been my impression it seems very uh it it seems like it would involve an awful lot of of work to uh and that you you it's not something that you do like on the weekends um you know it's a 
uh, a lot of time investment. Um, but I've almost had you here for an hour, so I don't want to um, take up too much more of your time. But I think this has been interesting, so I think we should do this again because we haven't even gotten to the cold snort stuff and some of the other <laughs> things that I wanted to discuss today. But um, sure, I'm, I think uh, yeah, it, it's getting a. a it's getting close to midnight here, so I'm definitely up for calling a day, and I'd definitely be up for coming back. Okay, all right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna end the end the conversation here, and uh, just before we go, uh, you can you can check out Jeremy's translations at Wushu World. I'll put a link in the podcast below, and I'll put a link to the resource page that he mentioned as well. And I don't know if there's anything that you want to say before you go that I might not have brought up. Yeah, one last thing, which is to anybody who who has actually endured to this very last moment of the podcast, um, whether you're a fan of my translation or not, uh, I have to mention that I'm reaching the end of I Shall Sow the Heavens, um, which is kind of a monumental thing. Uh, it's going to be the first like epic Chinese fantasy novel that's been translated by one person um, that's this long. There's been some other ones, one one epic one that was translated by multiple translators kind of like what you were talking about earlier about having to go to all different websites and stuff and there's some other ones that have been completed that are not even as close to being as long as this one um it's it was the most popular novel in china uh for about two years running and there's a good reason for that it's a really really cool novel and like i said i'm reaching the end and there's going to be a really big contest to go along with the uh, final few chapters. Um, there's going to be. I, I haven't. I haven't specifically set the prizes yet, because I'm still working with people. Um, there's going to be some Ogre Gate prizes, and there's going to be other prizes from other places. Where I, I'm thinking around the range of thousands of dollars of prizes. And the only thing you have to do to be able to get some of those prizes is just read the novel. Um, it's pretty long, the so only, if you're a it's, yeah. yeah, in this case, you I just, can just have point to read out. it. It's a how how many chapters did you say? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's by the by the end it'll be sixteen hundred chapters, and that's essentially about as long as the Wheel of Time series yeah. by Robert Jordan. So that is a huge task um, for those of you who are already fans. Well, you don't have to worry about it, but for anybody that's listening now, um, now is the time. You have a few months. It's about four months. Um, if if you're if you like reading, um, give it a chance. Read it for a couple hundred chapters, and you'll probably get hooked. And then. You'll, you won't be able to stop from reading it, and you'll have plenty of time to catch up. Actually, I think that's a good idea because it's, it, it actually is really a, a good novel. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really great story, and I think that if, if people have a contest to look forward to, that'll give them the, uh, you know, it'll give them the motivation to structure their reading, I think. Um, but, uh, but also, you have, you have uh, the, other, the other story out as well that people can follow that's kind of just coming out, too, if they're not as, um, if they're not as ambitious um, True. That that's that's a good point. There's another. I have. I am translating. We. I didn't mention this before. You even asked me. But there's another novel called A Will Eternal, and that's by the same author. It takes place um, uh, after. Well, it, right now it's not clear in the story. His stories are all linked together, and presumably this one takes place after I Shall Seal the Heavens. And right now I'm translating that at a much slower pace. Um, after I Shall Seal the Heavens finishes, it'll probably pick up. But that one is really, I, I actually think it's so far in some ways better. It's its extremely hilarious. Um, I Shall Seal the Heavens has a lot of comedy in it. But this one, he seems, at least at the beginning, to be focusing almost completely on comedy. It's just, I just am dying laughing while translating it. So that's another good one to check out too. All right. So I'll let you go now because I don't want to, 
take up any more of your time, but we'll 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 have Jeremy back on and uh, and definitely follow the links at the uh, bottom of the podcast. So until then, I will talk to you later.